Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. I hope everyone's having a great day. Today we are doing another Q&A episode where I answer your questions that you guys uh, that you guys sent me on Instagram. If you love this podcast, if you could please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, that would mean so much to me. Thank you guys for listening and supporting the show. Y'all are the best, as you probably know at this point. I am um, on maternity leave. And so that's why we're doing these pre-recorded evergreen um, uh, episodes that are Q&As and interviews and topics and things like that. And some of you, by the way, whenever I say evergreen, I always get messages and questions saying, wait, what's evergreen? Well, it's like the tree. <laughs> it's evergreen. Like it doesn't go through, like the tree doesn't go through seasons. It's always green. And in the same way, evergreen topics are not tied to the news cycle. They're not tied to something that's happening right in that second. They can be talked about at any time because they're topical or they're just not uh, dependent on the cycle of the news. That's what I mean by evergreen. So just wanted to clarify that. Um, here's a question that I got, which is kind of evergreen, okay? This is a good example of kind of evergreen um, because it's talking about something that's happening in the future, but I couldn't talk about it in like five years. It wouldn't make sense. And the question is, should the U.S. boycott the 2022 Winter Olympic Games in Beijing? I absolutely think so. I absolutely think so. I mean, would you have supported the Olympic Games being in Nazi Germany in the 1930s or 40s? I don't think so. There's no difference. There's no difference in what the Chinese Communist Party is doing to its own people and is doing to other parts of the world, like South America and Africa via colonization. Uh, there's no difference between what that regime is doing and what Nazi Germany uh, was doing in the 1930s. Same kinds of atrocities, same kinds of oppression, same kinds of racism, same kinds of concentration camps, same lack of freedom, except it's even it's even worse because they're more powerful. They're actually more pervasive. And they and also it's worse because more countries accept them and don't actually see them as an evil foreign regime. Like America, especially under the Biden administration, has kowtowed to them so much. American corporations love China, despite all of the human rights atrocities that go on there. And then they pretend like they're social justice advocates here by, for example, boycotting Georgia just because Georgia requires voting IDs. Like, it's such a joke. And that's why I think, yes, of course, we should boycott the Olympic Games in Beijing 100%. And Joe Biden saying that the MLB, supporting the MLB, for example, boycotting Georgia a while ago, are taking their all-star game out of Atlanta because of the new voter law requiring voter ID and other things. Also expanding the ability to vote in a lot of counties in Georgia. Um, him saying that that boycott is fine, but then not being sure about whether or not, at least as I'm recording this, we're going to boycott the Olympic Games in Beijing that's ridiculous. So you're willing to punish Georgians. You're willing to punish the people of Atlanta, which, by the way, is uh, majority black. And his problem with the voting law is that it's Jim Crow. And so they're punishing the city of Atlanta, which is majority black, by trying to support this boycott and this taking out of the All-Star game by the MLB from Atlanta, but they're totally fine or they're, they might be fine with hosting or with allowing the, the Olympic Games or going to the Olympic Games in Beijing 
It's all just total and complete hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy. I am so tired of people here, of elites here, of academics, of organizations and businesses pretending like they're on the right side of history, pretending like they care about equality, pretending like they care about social justice and lining their pockets with money from the CCP. Like, I don't take you seriously as a corporation, as a company, as an organization, as a sports organization, if that's how you operate. Like, either you actually care, uh, you care about justice and you care about the marginalized and the vulnerable, or you don't. But the fact of the matter is, is that they know, companies here know that they can take the popular social justice and racial justice stances They can still be making money from the most racist and oppressive and repressive regime on earth. And that most people here aren't going to care. They aren't going to know. Certainly progressives here don't care because honestly, most progressives here don't care about what's going on in China either because they've got that entire worldview that really the only real bad people are white and in the West. Um, And so they know that they can get away with that kind of thing. They can just posture. They can virtue signal without actually having to be virtuous. Um, And there was one point when I thought, you know what? Private companies, they do what they, they're going to do, whatever, and conservatives shouldn't boycott. I'm past that. I'm past that point. And I think a lot of conservatives are past that point where when you realize that the big companies in this country have so much power and have so much sway in the direction of the culture and really have so much say in our freedom and our access to information, our access to communication, our access to travel, and they represent this kind of horrific, hypocritical immorality, you realize that it has to be the government's place at some point, the Republicans part, the Republican Party's place at some point, to stop giving so many breaks and so much preferential treatment to these companies that hate the constituents that voted for these Republicans. Republicans no longer can be just the party of tax cuts. They can no longer just be the party of supposed small government. They're not even really the party of small government. They have to be a party with teeth. They have to be a party that says, look, we're not going to give preferential treatment to these corporations anymore. Like, we're not going to be those kinds of conservatives that are just about tax, uh, cutting the corporate tax rate. We're not just going to be the party that says, oh, private companies can do what they want to. We're past that. We're past that. Like we've got a corporate oligarchy and the only institution that is powerful enough to push back against them is the government. Now, I'm not talking about all private businesses being regulated or anything like that. That's actually the opposite or that's completely different uh, than what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about them not getting preferential treatment to the point to where they get so powerful, where the corporations are actually the ones punishing citizens. It's an oligarchy. Um, This used to also be, by the way, like a democratic, um, a more liberal stance. But now, because the Uh, These corporations are so in lockstep with the social and cultural left. You don't see Democrats quite as much anymore speaking up about corporate power. Sure, you've got, you know, somewhat Elizabeth Warren. You've got a little bit of Bernie Sanders in there, but you're not going to see Joe. You're not going to see Joe Biden and the Biden administration trying to diminish the power 
um, quite as much of these uh, of these companies because these companies support him. They support his agenda. They support leftism. The system is in lockstep with each other. They're all saying the same talking points. And so now it's got to be a Republican value to say, you know what? Like, and this should be a conservative value to say, I'm against any kind of big organization, whether it's a government organization, a a company, a a corporate organization, um, exacting its power and its influence to make the lives of individuals worse, to discriminate against people and to punish people, punish states based on their viewpoint and based on the laws passed. Yes, to a certain extent, these companies can can do what they want to do, but there's got to be pushback. It can't just be that one ideological side is playing that game and the other and the other side, the conservative side is saying, sure, just yeah, you just do it. Do what you want. Ru- ruin my life. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. We can't do that. I think we're past that. So that was that was a long rant. But I do think that the tide is turning and that Republicans are realizing that, look, your constituents, they want you to fight the culture war. They want you to push back against the corporations that hate us, that hate our values. Like they want you to get in the fight. Like I think that the whole idea of like, okay, the Republican Party is only for economic prosperity and small government and low taxes. I just think that most constituents don't want that. They want a Republican Party that has some teeth that's willing to push back against stuff, that's willing to argue against, for example, chemical castration for kids and not be ashamed of it. Like, I think we're done with the Asa Hutchinsons of of the GOP. We just are. Um, all right. So that was a long rant answering that question. Next question. Um, how do you balance the desire for a career and desire to be a mom one day? So if you were a single woman... Um, chances are you need to have a job. Like if you're out of college, you don't live with your parents. Chances are you need to have a job. And I think that your responsibility, our responsibility um, as people, as Christians, is to work heartily as for the Lord and not for man. So whatever work you have, which I do think it's important to work, to be able to provide for yourself, um, if especially you know if you're not married, um, I think that you simply have to find work that you can do well. That doesn't mean that you have to find your dream job. Doesn't mean that you have to find the perfect job. Doesn't mean that you have to make six figures. Doesn't mean that all of your dreams have to come true. Um, it means that you find a job in which you are um, at least adequately competent to do, and then you do it to the best of your ability, and you use every bit of experience that you gain to prepare you for whatever is next. When I started working in PR, I had no idea that I would be doing this one day, and yet there are things that I learned in that first job, even though it wasn't the perfect job for me and I was not the perfect person for the job, that I still apply today. The ability to communicate, the ability to be able to make connections, to make a pitch, to even like write and understand a press release. I think that still kind of benefits me today and doing a job that didn't necessarily come naturally to me, but that I had to learn how to do competently. I think that that really prepares you for whatever is next. It's amazing. Once you get somewhere that just any place, whether it's a small goal or a big goal, when you get there, it's always amazing to look back and to and to think about all of the little things that you did not realize at the time were preparing you 
for that thing, but were. Uh, there are so many different things that I can think of when I first started doing this. Like I first started working at the Blaze. Um, I'll, well, I'll, I'll tell you some of it. So like I was um, working in, I was working in PR and then I had a different job when we lived in Athens, Georgia. And then we moved, um, we moved from Georgia for my husband's job. And I ended up through a series of connections being able to make some kind of like peripheral loose connection at the blaze. And I showed up at the blaze one day just to get a tour of like the facility. And then a producer happened to recognize me because I had my blog, the conservative uh, millennial and was like, Hey, like you should consider maybe like coming here and just being a guest for like a Facebook live or something like that. And I did that. It went well. They ended up hiring me to be a social media manager, not talent, not anyone in front of the camera being a social media manager at the blaze. And that was actually my first job at the blaze. And I didn't like it because at that point I knew I wanted to be in front of the camera. Like I knew I wanted to be talking, but I did it because it was my foot in the door and I ha I wouldn't have gotten that job if I hadn't had my first job in PR and social media strategy that even though I didn't like my first job at The Blaze, I knew how to do it. I knew what I was doing. I knew enough about social media to get the job. And then because I was there every day and I created opportunities for myself when I was at the blaze of asking like, Hey, can I make this video? I'll edit it. I'll, I'll make sure that it's filmed the right way. I'll post it on social media. No one has to do anything. And then I was given permission to that. And then slowly, but surely I was asked to do more things when I started doing videos for the blaze and they were getting millions of views. And then I was able to use that to say, okay, well, can I do this? Can I try this? And that just kind of grew over a matter of months. Um, and you know, there's, a lot in between that, getting asked to be on Fox News and write things and then write a book and all that, it just kind of grew. But I always think back to the very beginning and the things that prepared me for what I'm doing now, the things that prepared me for uh, my first job, the things that prepared me for the jobs in between. And so all that to say, all you can do is put one foot in front of the other, be as obedient as possible in stewarding the opportunities that you're given to the best of your ability to see everything as an opportunity that's preparing you for something else. And then like as your life goes on, it could be, I don't know if you're married, but if you get married, it could be that you decide to stop working then. It could be that you continue to work until you have kids. It could be that you learn um, how to have, you know, balance motherhood and uh, also doing something that you love and doing something entrepreneurial or whatever it is. Um, and everything that you do now prepares you for that. You don't have to plan 10 years down the road. Like I didn't, I didn't plan my career. I'm sure that's not uh, like advice that uh, business gurus would tell you to take, but I didn't plan my career. My entire career has been putting one foot in front of the other, taking things as they come, adjusting as my different life stages come, trying to prioritize the things that matter and trusting God that things are going to go how they're supposed to go and not obsessing not not obsessing over meeting particular goals, just doing what God, I hope, has gifted me to do and called me to do for as long as he's called me to do it and prioritizing continually the things that matter, which to me are my faith and my family, 
while still, thankfully, by the grace of God, being able to carve out time to do something like this. And so you want to know how to balance those two desires. You put one foot in front of the other and you obey God and he is going to help you. Like he is going to guide you. He is going to show you how to do it, what to do. Also, don't worry if like you do have long-term career goals um, and you know what you want to do and, and you really work towards those, don't be surprised and certainly don't be disappointed if when you have a child, things change. Um, because I have lots of friends and this is something that the studies that the that the data doesn't pick up on. The feminists look at this data and they say, oh, there's a disproportionate rate of moms staying home instead of dads. It's because of the patriarchy. It's because of sexism. Oh, there's more women working in freelance and part-time jobs that don't have benefits than men. And they think that's part of women being discriminated against. The fact of the matter is, is that women are much more likely than men to naturally want to stay home. That's not true of all women. That's not true of all women. I'm not saying that, but it is more likely for women not to feel the societal pressure to do so. I certainly don't think that exists today, um, but to have the innate desire to do so. And so don't be surprised if you're working hard in your career, you love your career, you're just putting one foot in front of the other, praying to do God's will, praying for to have discernment and to take opportunities as they come. If and when you have children, you decide, I need to take a break. I need to take a step back. Like I need to pause or I don't want to do this anymore. I have a lot of friends who who did that, who stopped working and they took a part-time job or they work on the side. I'm very thankful that this job that I have, yes, it's it. I, I'm sure it seems like a lot to you guys and it is a lot, especially right now as I'm recording this is like we're pre-recording so many episodes for maternity leave. Like it absolutely can be a lot, but it also affords me a ton of flexibility, like a ton of freedom to be able to be with my family and to do the things that I want to do. Now, it also means I have crazy hours. It means that I am sometimes working, like I'm working in the morning when I'm recording this. And then because I want to spend the bulk of my day with my uh, with my child and with my family, it means that I might not start working again until like 9.30 till 2 a.m., um, and that's not for everyone and that's not fun, but that's kind of like the stage of life that we're in right now. And some, and you might decide to do that if you have a child or you might decide you don't, you don't want to work and that's completely fine. Still the things that you are doing now, I promise you God is going to use to prepare you for motherhood, to prepare you to stay at home, to prepare you to volunteer, to prepare you to do whatever it is that he is calling you to do. Don't be disappointed in yourself or think that you're not doing enough or that you're just not a go-getter if you end up having a kid and deciding, look, I don't want to work. I want to stay at home. Like, that's amazing. That's wonderful. And uh, every woman that I've talked to, by the way, feels that at least a little bit after they have a child, that either you need to take a step back a little bit or you just need to quit your job entirely. Almost every single woman that I know has felt that and she never thought she would feel it um, beforehand. For me, I do think I really did take a big step back um, after my daughter was born a couple years ago. And it might not seem like it to you guys, but when I look back to what I was doing before, like constantly posting 
videos and all different kinds of content, always doing interviews, always on Fox News, always traveling for speaking engagements. That was really fun. And like my husband would get to do that kind of stuff with me. He is a pretty standard, you know, he has a pretty strict nine to five or nine to six ish job. And so we were kind of able to balance that together. And then just when my daughter was born, I did take a step back. Like I did decide not to be so inundated with all of that all the time. Like I'm on Twitter so much less than I used to be. I'm posting other kinds of content very rarely. And I'm sorry, I know you guys like my satirical videos and I love doing the satirical videos, but if something's gotta give, it's gonna be something like, it's gonna be something like that. I And also because of COVID, but also because of being a mom, like, I don't travel nearly as much as I used to. I was traveling almost every week um, and I just don't do that. And so it might not seem like it to you guys, but my career has really shifted and it ha- I really have taken it. I really have taken a, a big step back in a lot of ways while still, you know, putting a lot of content out via this podcast in Almost every woman I know does the same thing. Certainly don't be disappointed in yourself if you do that. You do have to find the balance. And God's going to help you find the balance. And I trust your ability to find the balance. And sometimes you won't find the balance until a year after your child is born. So I think that we all have to make sure that our priorities are correct, that we're simply following the Lord and honestly putting just one foot in front of the other and figuring it out as you go. Okay, this one is for the small business owners. If you own a small business, you know that HR issues can be really scary because they can kill your business and you may not be able to afford right now to hire a full-time HR manager because the salary for HR managers can be like $75,000. And if you're a small business owner, you just might not have that in the budget. So what you need is Bambi. That's B-A-M-B-E-E. They offer everything that you need for HR. They give you a dedicated HR manager that's available by phone, email, or in real-time chat. So from onboarding to terminations to just the day-to-day of HR, the dedicated HR manager from Bambi will be available to help you all for just $99 a month. So all of your HR needs taken care of from Bambi for just $99 a month, you're going to be saving a lot of money. This is a worthy investment. You can't just ignore HR issues as a small business owner, even though it can be especially cumbersome. So I highly encourage you to go to Bambi.com. Again, that's B A. M-B-E-E, and you'll get that dedicated HR manager for just $99 a month. And if you go to Bambi.com slash Allie, you can schedule your free HR audit. So if you go to Bambi.com slash Allie, you'll get a free HR audit. That's Bambi.com slash Allie. What did your parents instill in you growing up that you would credit with making you who you are today? So I answered this on another Q&A. One thing that I've also mentioned this, like it's difficult to keep up with which questions I've actually answered on these Q&As and I don't want to repeat anything, but I think this is a little bit different than what I've been asked before. What did your parents instill in you growing up that you would credit with making you who you are today? Um, Well, there's, there's a lot of things. I mean, my parents were conservative Christians and they worked, they were not raised 
with any kind of wealth. They created a lot of opportunities for themselves and they worked really hard to make sure that my brothers and me had opportunities that they didn't. And so they were, they were Christians. They were, you know, they're conservative. They are Christians. They are conservatives. They raised us with those values. They also um, made sure this was a high priority for my parents to make sure that we also got a Christian education. I understand that's not necessarily um, accessible to every single person, but um, that was just a priority for them to make sure that I had that and that I was inundated with a biblical worldview as much as possible. And I think that that really helped me when people ask me, how do you, you know, how do you research your podcast or like, this must take you a really long time. You've got all of these biblical references and your podcast episodes. Yes, it does take me a long time to, um, when I really write out a podcast episode where we get into something theological, it takes me a long time to do it. But Thankfully, it's not because necessarily I'm scouring scripture. I would say one gift that my parents gave me was the biblical worldview that just pervaded my life growing up in that I have a familiarity with the Bible and with scripture that makes that kind of preparation and makes that kind of cross-referencing, makes that kind of referencing of scripture very easy for me today. And I can't take credit for that. Yes, of course, there's been a relationship with God independent from my parents. There's been study of theology and of the word independent of my parents. But because of that foundation and because of that worldview that I was taught so much um, growing up, uh, you know, from school and church and just conversations with them, that kind of stuff is very easy for me now. And I think that that's something that I want for my daughter even more so. Like uh, we talk a lot about, you know, catechizing your children, the importance of teaching them um, a solid catechism that asks questions and they memorize the answers according to scripture. For example, like the first question of the catechism that we use is who made you? And the answer is God made me. And, you know, I wish that I had maybe been taught more theology and more apologetics and more answers to questions like that growing up. But I did have a biblical basis for everything that I learned. And because of that, that helps me very easily whenever I see a lie in culture or whenever I see a twisting of scripture, I am easily able to think, well, hang on, that reminds me of the scripture that actually contradicts that. And I think that is a wonderful gift that my parents gave me. And I think that's a gift that we can give to our kids, that if we can so fill them with the word of God, that when they confront these conflicts and these problems in the world, they are able to say, hang on, hang on, I've this this actually contradicts what I have been taught through my biblical perspective. And what an amazing gift and like what equipment we can give them and tools we can give them um, in that. And so I would say that I also, you know, got parts of my parents personality. I'm very different um, than uh, my brothers who are a lot more easygoing than I am. I think my parents would also say that it, there were difficulties. I'm very, you know, strong-willed as you can pop, pop, probably uh, imagine. <laughs> it got tongue-tied there for a second. Probably imagine. And, you know, growing up when you are, you've got that kind of personality, you're headstrong, you are argumentative, um, it can be difficult when that comes in this like this, you know, small package of a child thinking that she knows everything and wanting to argue everything. But um, 
we got through it. We got through the toddler years. We got through the teenage years. And my parents, um, you know, they gave me a lot of gifts in equipment and in love and in support that um, helped me have the confidence to do what I do now. And my dad still provides me, well, both of my parents, but I call my dad a lot and ask him for advice, ask him for wisdom, ask him to explain certain, um, you know, political issues for me or particular law for me. He's got a lot of wisdom and just practical things. I've had a lot of contracts that I've had to negotiate in the past few years of my life. He's been super helpful in all of that. Like he always gives me really good advice and like what to do. I've got these opportunities. I don't know what to say or I don't know how to respond to this person in this particular business situation. My dad is um, a very effective business person. And so he has also really helped me in that. And gosh, the gift that you give your children as just a mom, a present mom and a dad who cares, a present mom and a dad who give you wisdom and give you advice and don't just let you think whatever you want to think and do whatever you want to do. My parents are pretty strict growing up, um, too strict on some things. They would be okay with me saying this, too strict on some things and probably didn't encourage enough discipline in other things. Um, and, but I'm so thankful that they weren't the parents that allowed me to do whatever I wanted to do and think whatever I wanted to think and wear whatever I wanted to wear and watch and listen to whatever I wanted to watch and listen to. I'm so thankful for that. Um, because I think that they protected me in a lot of ways while I also was able to develop skills like critical thinking and understanding difficult problems and issues in the world. Um, and there's just nothing that can replace a mom and a dad. You need both. There's nothing that can replace that. Both of them have such like unique places in my life. Their personalities are different. What they bring to the table is different. Their gifts are different. Their weaknesses are different. The things that they did well as parents and did not as well as parents are different. And so I'm very thankful for, you know, what I what I learned from them and what I hopefully am able to pass down to my kids. And it's not just my parents. It's also like my grandmother also had a huge influence on me, which I've talked about um, before. And she was like, I also think I'm going on a rant, but I'm also thinking about like what she provided for me since she lived with us. She was a refuge. She was a refuge for me. For someone who, like I said, was you know, I was always like inviting conflict and argumentative and getting in trouble and things like that. My grandmother, you almost just like need that person in your life to spoil you or need that person in your life who is going to tell you all the time how great you are. And I know, I know, like that sounds like something that maybe I wouldn't say. And that sounds like something that's maybe... um isn't all that healthy. But as a child, like you do need that source or that person who is just going to like be sweet to you when you, when you need it, or even when you're acting up. And that was what my grandmother and I could start crying. I'm not going to start crying, but that's what my grandmother was to me. She was, but you know, she was also disciplined. She also taught me a lot of stuff, but to always have that like safe haven that if I was in trouble in my parent with my parents, I would be able to go to my grandma and still, you know, 
get, you know, get love and get a Werther's original candy. Like I actually think it's important for kids to have that too. So anyway, I'm very blessed. I had a very, you know, good upbringing with lots of different dynamics that I understand not a lot of people, not everyone has. Um, so when you ask me, you know, what my parents taught me a lot, a lot, and life teaches you things too. And really just to have the guidance and the safety and the security of parents, when life teaches you those hard lessons, I think it's just completely irreplaceable. So moms, dads, grandparents, you have the most important job in the world, the most important job in the world. I think that we don't understand like what we give to our kids just by loving our spouse and just by providing them security and direction. Um we can see we can see the damage that it causes when kids don't have that and they grow up to be completely reckless and directionless adults. It's not good. It's not good. And so we can pay it forward and we can make an impact. If you don't ever know what to do, by the way, people always ask me like, how do I change culture? How do I change society? It starts at home. Like the family is the incubator of liberty. It is the incubator uh, for morality, for values, for a worldview. Like you have the biggest influence and should have the biggest influence on your child. And it's never too late to try to instill them uh, with the values that are good of kindness and of personal generosity and of respect, no matter what someone looks like, no matter where they come from, of seeing people as image bearers of God, of caring about truth and real biblical justice, all of those things, they happen, they're learned in the home. And that is how we can make an impact um, on the future. All right. I think I have time for one more question. Maybe a couple more quick ones. What version of the Bible do you read? I use the English Standard version. I like English standard version because, and I might've answered this one too already, but it's word for word rather than thought for thought. NIV is thought for thought translation. NASB, I think is another word for word translation. KJV, word for word translation. NKJV, word for word translation. ESV, word for word translation. The message is like broad concept for broad concept translation. So it's going to be a lot less literal, a lot less exact. Um, NIV is a little bit more colloquial, so it's a little bit easier to read. ESV can be a little bit harder to read, but that's because it's more of an exact translation, but it's more colloquial than the NKJV. Um, So that's why I use the ESV. And the ESV Study Bible is an amazing commentary with lots of resources in it. Okay, guys, I've got good news for you. If you are looking to cook out this 4th of July, then you need to check out Good Ranchers at GoodRanchers.com. They offer high-quality organic beef and chicken, all from American farmers, and it ships right to your door, all individually wrapped. You can even choose to have your chicken pre-marinated. My husband and I love Good Ranchers because they really do make buying meat so easy. You don't have to go to the grocery store and wonder if you're really getting high quality meat or if you're getting the right cut, 
They take care of all of that for you. And like I said, you're supporting American farmers. 80% of the beef that you're buying in the grocery store is not from America. So if you want to support American farmers, especially now that's so important, then GoodRanchers.com is a really easy way to do that. You can either just buy your one-time box of meat, go online and pick which cuts you want, or you can actually get a subscription, and that's the family feast option. And that, when you subscribe, you actually save 20% when you do that. Um, And it brings the cost per meal down to, I think it's like $2.38. I mean, it's super affordable, a lot more affordable than their competitors. And unlike their competitors, it's all meat from American farmers. So go to goodranchers.com slash Allie. When you do, you'll get $20 off your order, which is a really great deal. That's goodranchers.com slash Allie for $20 off your order. That's goodranchers.com slash Allie. Here's a controversial question that I'll be perfectly honest. Like, I haven't really thought about this a lot, and I have, but I've seen people, I've seen people ask this question a lot. And I think it's kind of weird that people are asking this question. Someone said, Should Christians circumcise their sons, or is it barbaric? Well, it's obviously not barbaric because it's something that God required of his people um, when in in ancient Israel. And so to say it's barbaric would be to say that God's commands are barbaric. And so I'm not sure that I can hold God to that kind of human standard. That sounds blasphemous to me. So I don't think you can say it's barbaric. From what I understand, it's done for health reasons. Um, It's done for cleanliness reasons. Today, Christians don't do it in a way to um, show that you are like set apart in the way that Israel did. Um, I don't think that's required of Christians today. But do I think it's a sin? It's some people try to compare it to female genital mutilation. It's not the same thing. That is that is not the same thing. You are not getting rid of a particular function there. It's typically done for cleanliness, for health reasons. Now, I think that's a personal choice. I'm not going to weigh in on, you know, the morality of it or whether or not you should do it. I don't really care. I don't think it's something that's like a big societal question that has a huge societal impact that needs to be like debated in Christian forums necessarily. But I do see this question a lot. I don't think it's correct. There's like a men's rights movement that's trying to say that this is wrong. I understand that perspective. I I understand. I do. I understand what you're saying. Um, I think it's a personal decision to be made and that there's not a whole lot of morality that can be ascribed to it. Um, I don't know if my answer is going to be controversial or not. Um, But yeah, it's interesting that this is even kind of like being debated right now. I think it's a choice. I think it's a choice that you make with your family. And yeah, it doesn't really affect me what choice you make with your family. All right. On that note, I will end this episode and see you guys back here soon.